Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast. At Evolution, we're committed to helping people and Nordics tech organizations to realize their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust, and making doing business easier. I'm Josh Asquith from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and today I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by Balaji, Evan, Annie, and John, and we're here to discuss the future of tech leadership, navigating changes, and building strong teams. Before we get into the questions, as ever, let's work our way around the room and make some introductions. What I'd like to know is who you are, what you do, and what your current biggest passions are. Balaji, would you like to go first? Yes, yes. Thanks. Uh, thanks for the introduction. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, Balaji. Um, I'm currently living in uh, Gothenburg, working for Volvo Cars as a uh, technical product manager uh, for the third-party developer experiences uh, globally. And um, and talking about the passion, uh, I mean, it just blends with work, right? Um, so to to touch um, as many as users possible and to make um, a positive impact uh, in their lives uh, through our products is is one of my uh, biggest passions. So always uh, looking towards that. Really, thank you very much, Annie. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Happy to be here. So my name's Annie van Hennen. I am part of the management team for the data and analytics function at IKE Sweden, which is the largest grocery retailer in Sweden. And I'm the manager of a team we call Strategic Analytics Lead, where we focus on both how we use data and analytics to create value. So, for example, which use cases we do. But we also focus a lot on the larger sort of transformation journey around becoming a more data and insights driven company. I'm really passionate about solving problems, uh, both as part of unleashing the power of data analytics, I guess, but also as part of being a manager and just giving my team the best prerequisites for doing their jobs. Uh, on a private level, I'm also a passionate cook uh, and I love to eat good food together with friends and family, which is great when you work with groceries, of course. Happy to be here. Happy to have you. Thank you for that introduction. Evan? Thanks, Josh. Uh, my name is Evan Rumsa. I'm an analytics manager at Klarna. On the personal side, I'm a bit of an endurance athlete nut at the moment. So endurance races recently did leading a lot in Sweden, for example. Um, but I, I'm American, also an uh, immigrant to Sweden. So learning about the culture and life here in Sweden has been uh, something very interesting over the past several years. On the professional side, uh, I work with financial planning and analysis at Klarna, so all things data, all things P&L, uh, and am situated within the product domain, so sit very close to our consumer-facing products. Thanks again for having me. It's a pleasure. Last but not least, John. Hi, I'm John Silverius. Um, I come with a background of different coaching roles and leadership roles, all from engineering managers up to CTO. Um, my passions are to, well, indulge myself in leadership things, but I also care a lot about well-being, uh, both from my personal perspective, but also for the people around me. I'm an endurance athlete as well. Uh, I really love doing races, uh, but we're getting into the season now where I tend to spend more time on video games than training. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. 
We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Totally fair enough. It's a genuine pleasure to have you all here today on the Evolution podcast, and I want to thank you all for your time. Now we have a little more context to each of you, who you are and what it is that you do. We have some questions. The way we're going to do this is we will work our way around the room. You will give us your question and you will let us know what the thought process was that led you to formulate this question. So let's start with Annie. Please tell us about your question and tell us what is your question. Yeah, sure, just uh, Josh. Um, to start from where I started, I guess I'm not the only one who's thinking about how we can handle change right now and how we support our organizations through the turbulence that is around us currently. So the question I would like to discuss with you is how do we navigate this constant change, both in terms of, for example, organizational adjustments and in terms of ever-changing priorities due to a more turbulent world and therefore business environment around us. I often get the question from our teams, when can we sort of get some peace and quiet to just focus on our work and what we do? And I think there's a balance where we on one hand have to create an environment where you can be allowed to focus and secure delivery. But at the same time, I think we need to Think of this as a more long-term trend. We have to build resilience in teams and in coworkers so that they can also navigate this change, which I think is here to stay, rather than us managers trying to shield them from it. So how do we find this balance? That's basically my question. So this is really, really tricky. And the state that we've been in in a lot of companies these last 18 months has been very chaotic. And I think that as a leader, it's super important to be inclusive. It's super important to be as transparent as you can. But we all know that we can't at all times. Um, I am one of those who I rather overshare than don't. Uh, But I try to be very, very clear with what I know and what I don't know and when I'm speculating and when I'm not. Uh, And at the same time, I want to create the bubbles where people can calm and focus for a bit. Uh, so you have to be hard with the priorities. You have to be say that we're going to do this, we're going to do it until we finish, and then we're going to move on to the next thing. Um, I come from an agile background. It's pretty easy for me to talk about prioritization. It's easy for me to talk about focus. It's easy for me to say that it doesn't matter if we jump in between 20 different things. We need to get one thing done before we can move to the next one. So I think as a leader in these times, you just have to be that calm person who creates that focus and who's also open to saying that I don't know and you have to you have to live with me in this uncertainty it's a great question and a challenge that we're all facing I agree the the pace of change has only gone up historically and I don't suspect that is something that will change I also agree with what John is saying around communication I think many of the hard decisions that were alluded to in the question that maybe we'll talk about more 
over the podcast, uh, a lot of these can be handled with effective communication, prompts, transparent, authentic. Uh, it's a lot of buzzwords, but I think there's a reason behind those being the buzzwords, right? Uh, the more that we can share with our teams uh, and also solicit their feedback uh, on these types of changes uh, can be uh, an effective tool and something that we've definitely leveraged. Uh, another one that, that I want to talk about a little bit was our role as leaders and as a filter. Um, I, I think striking that balance is, is, is a challenge, but that also is what will largely define success for our teams, right? So working with different methodologies, whether it be agile, whether it be uh, a different framework uh, at your individual workplace um, and aligning those with the teams, uh, working together through stand-ups, through rituals, things like that. Um, we also have focus time blocked into our calendars. And I think that's been a very effective thing focused on delivery rather than alignment. Uh, and then other times where you're focused on alignment rather than delivery. Uh, so those would be some of the things that, that I think we've been uh, leveraging some of the tools we've been leveraging to address the increasing pace of change. That's uh, actually well put uh, statements by John and even uh, uh, I'd like to uh, compliment them for sure. It, it's it's uh, it's all about, um, uh, uh, I mean, change is welcome. Uh, change is how we evolve, uh, basically, and it has been there for years uh, since the human evolution and, and even before. But how 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 is that uh, we're going to address them? Uh, as as even mentioned, with the with the change pace is getting uh, picked up in in especially within the tech industry, uh, uh, it's 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 about how we're going to address them. And and um, when it comes to the question of how, it's all about planning. And and if we can able to uh, plan the change well ahead, or or if we can able to uh, even provide uh, systems that can uh, uh, build a contingency uh, towards the changes, uh, and and can make make the system more resilient or make the teams. Uh, be more resilient uh, to changes. That that way, I feel um, uh, it's uh, it's something that um, uh, should be should be addressable uh, by teams. And and I and I uh, totally understand the fact that you mentioned any uh, wherein teams feel uh, they need some uh, peace time or, or quiet time to to work. <laughs> uh, that is that is um, uh, uh, that is something that the leaders' responsibility or our managers. Responsibility in order to in order to uh, provide that as as even mentioned the focus time is, is one such our different frameworks are are uh, can be helpful uh, in order to make the teams more quiet and do the work. Uh, in uh, on the on the on the other hand, it's also something that uh, uh, we can able to plan and prioritize so that the the meetings or or the work schedule can be regulated uh, on a on a short or medium long term. Based on the projects, and and that that makes it more uh, efficient for the teams uh, to to take both the changes and the meetings uh, uh, in a welcomable way. So that I feel uh, it's it's a it's a it's a well-rounded question, and and I feel it's a it's about uh, the leader's responsibility and and to navigate these uh, changing times, changes. No, thanks. Uh, really good insights from all of you, I think, and and good with some practical tips as well. And I think what you were referring to, Evan. With regards to that filter, I think to me, where do we actually put that? Where do we sort of draw the line as to what information is actually important for the teams to get and what is something that I can sort of decide to shield them from? Because I think also becoming a more and more complex world, it's also difficult as a manager to sort of make that type of decision because you actually don't know at every time what they do need to know and what they don't need to know. So you, you at some point you sort of have to 
decide even though, like you said, John, you don't have all the information and you actually don't know. So I'm also very much in this sort of transparency corner here, uh, but trying to to find that right balance as to sort of testing at some times. Do you actually want to know? And, and sometimes I actually find myself asking that question. I, I'm sitting here with this type of information. Is that something that you think you need at the moment or is it something that we should just not include in your priority uh, prioritization, for example. So I think trying to navigate where to put the filter is really, for me at least, a sort of trick question here. Yeah, it's a it's really great like pushback and challenge. And I think in this context, going back to questions, you know, feedback from the teams, I've found that the questions that people ask in response to these various tasks often will guide to where more transparency is needed or maybe where we're just getting distracted, right? So really thoughtful um, approach that, that I've leveraged some is, is actually just listening to the types of questions that are being answered and, and letting that guide you to where where more more focusing on the why, right? To use like a, another platitude, the old like Simon Sinek TED talk. Um, what are people asking about? Let's drill deeper there and and move away from the other stuff that might just be noise or distraction. I think um, the conversations are crucial. Uh, that you treat the people that you work with like adults, and you ask them, "Do you want to know?" Um, I'm not sure. I can only speculate. Do you want to speculate together with me? But I also think it's really important to offer them the choice and saying, in all honesty, you don't have to be part of this at the moment. You have, uh, to phrase it really hard, the privilege to dive into a technical problem for a couple of weeks. Maybe you should take that ride, go down into the problem, lift your head up in three weeks and see where we're at. Uh, you don't have to be part of this organizational chaos at the moment. And I've gotten a lot of appreciations from developers when I kind of make sure make it clear to them that like you can get the information that you want to but you don't have to like go you can write your if statements and and do the fun things that you can do all week and then we can talk again next week and I can give you the information that I have and and that's 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 been one approach just a big slack plus one on that that was a fantastic answer really really well put uh I would like to add a uh, dimension to that uh, discussion, John. That there are actually I've, I've seen both the um, uh, um, process of uh, uh, approaching the problem, as in uh, there is a there's a team within Volocars where uh, uh, the managers and and the leaders mentioned that they're gonna uh, refrain from any changes that that they're gonna take because it's it's too much uh, and it's been it's been a lot overflowing. And they stopped um, addressing the, the for the next six months. We're going to fix our platform. We're going to fix everything, and then we're going to come back to you uh, and and start approaching and start getting the um, um, uh, changes in, into the into the team's uh, cycle. That was one approach. And then there's another team who who have taken um, who ta who tried to um, take it in an iterative uh, process, uh, as you mentioned, uh, uh, wherein uh, wherein the, uh, the teams can able to uh, go with the changes, but then in a smaller iterations. So uh, both worked fine, and uh, interestingly, that's the <laughs> that's the conclusion that I would like to add here. As in, uh, both worked fine when it comes to uh, their uh, domain or the territory of changes that they they observe. So I feel it's about it's about the nature of the work and nature of the um, uh, the teams to 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 consider in order to take the iterative approach or or just uh, take it take it one bunch at a time kind of process. 
Yes. And I want to add to that that I think that all of this comes down to that uncertainty and silence can really, really kill an organization or a company. Um, being clear, communicating what you know, and saying, this is what we're going to do. We might change in three months because we might have new information, but this is our decision right now. This is what we're going to go with. So you might not agree, but this is the message. Um, instead of trying to kind of navigate through all of this without hurting anyone, making everyone feel included in the decisions, etc. You, you can't do that all the time. And then you're just going to have to be clear. This is the decision. This is how we came to it. This is what we're going to do. Okay, thank you very much. There were some really awesome answers and quite a comprehensive exploration of a really challenging topic there. So I want to thank you all. It was really super interesting. Brings us into our next question. Uh, our next question is brought to us by John. So John, would you please explain the thought process behind your question and what is your question for the panel? Yes. And this, we segue nicely into this from Annie's question. Um, so I've been working with people for a long time and I really like taking care of people. And I was in a discussion a couple of years back with the CEO who said that managers were too soft nowadays, that we have to push the people harder, we need to get more results. And I was kind of on the other side in the ring and, and arguing for the other things that we have to do, that we have to work with engagement, that we have to work with people and, and well-being, et cetera. And at the end, I said that I really care about my employees. And he said, so do I. That's why we have to make money. And it, it struck with me. And now we're in a situation where a lot of companies, we cut down, we have to look at our finances, we have to do only the things that are necessary. And how do we as leaders make sure that we can navigate and balance these two, that we can still take care of our people, but we never forget about the financial results? Because in the end, if we don't have any money, we don't have a company. Super relevant question, of course, John. Uh, thanks for asking it. I think to me, um, sort of aligning around value is is a way into it where we can both sort of find passion and engagement and a culture uh, which can align towards that value, but where the value is also based on the actual financial results that we're to achieve in the company, right? So I think value as a broader concept can actually align all of those things together. Um, but again, I think it refers re really well back to what you said before on, on treating people as adults, where we can be transparent about why are we doing this? What do we want to achieve? And what sort of results should it actually lead to for us as a company and us being sort of the key word here to doing this together and again aligning towards a common goal and i think i think we often sort of i'm not going to say we rush these things but it's in my experience it's something that has to take some time we have to dig into what do we actually mean by this goal that we have set what is it actually about how do it how do we align towards that? What do we want to achieve? And what does it mean for me as an employee or for my team? So giving that some extra time, actually jointly defining those goals and the value 
both in terms of employee values, uh, but also financial values and financial results is, is really worth the time, I would say. So using value maybe as something to come together around might be a way into it at least. Yeah, really good points. Uh, it's quite funny when, when we first talked about this question, I wrote down that treat everyone as adults was the first thing and it's already come up three or four times. So might be a theme there for any leaders listening to this podcast. <laughs> um, another one that I, I had thoughts on this question was around the seasonality of these these types of things, right? There are times where it's, it's a growth mindset and a, on a macro level, right? From investors, from clients, from, uh, from those in, all, all throughout the business ecosystem. And then there's times more like now where it's focused on profitability, uh, on, on getting down to brass tacks, right? I guess is the saying in, in America. Um, and I think for us in the data and analytics space, uh, it's really important to tie the value of what we're doing in a time like now back to the, the profitability, the actual operational efficiency of the business. And this is something that I think can get lost. And I, I realize I'm going a little bit of a different direction than the pure HR org change kinds of discussions, but um, being a little bit tactical, I think for those of us in the analytics space, it is really key to be aware of these macro situations and to realize that at the end of the day, um, maybe we we are we are support functions. Maybe we are not involved as involved in keeping the lights on when when it really gets tough, um, or aligning our tasks more towards those kinds of activities, so that in this macro cycle, uh, you are more business critical. You are able to. Um, you know, to, to be aligned with the business and with the, 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 you know, revenue generating or, or profitability, uh, functions. Uh, but actually, uh, I feel more critical question, um, um, has been asked by John and it's actually, as you mentioned, uh, it's a, it's a great segue from changes to, to how we're going to put it in the financial statement. So, I mean, I, I feel there needs to be a balance, uh, that, that has to be striked between, um, how you do with respect to your business and the value or the the, the customer uh, focus um, importance, and that that needs to be uh, in every level of the organization. And and I mean financial literacy is something uh, that needs to be uh, there in every angle of the company. No questions about that. But on this on, on the other hand, uh, how we're gonna uh, prioritize that? How we're gonna uh, educate uh, the developers? And for example, I I did that to my uh, team wherein. Um, every every single um, addition to the product, a feature to the product, how how that directly ties up to the to the to the uh, revenue slash balance sheet, and that that is something if you can able to bring that as a leader, um, it, it cannot uh, need, doesn't need to be as uh, precise as possible. But if uh, if the value is directly converted into um, so basically as a as a team they provide a feature as a value, and then if that value can be translated into into financial uh, a statement uh, in 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 the in the books. If that is um, propagated up from the different layers of the uh, organization, and if that is um, uh, loud and clear, and I feel that balance is what uh, every company needs to achieve, and and it's good for good for the future as well. Thank you. I think the the seasonal changes are a really really interesting approach to this, uh, that you have to think have a different mindset at different times. Um, 
I've been questioning myself how to how to make the hard changes when things are calm. When people finally can get a breather, that's when you have to make them do stuff and do some of the hard changes that you will otherwise be forced to do when things are going bad. Um, so that was, an, that was a really interesting take. My answer to this question is probably, there's a lot in the acknowledgement that it is important. That is not, we're not there to work to just have fun. We also have to remember that we need to do some good and, and provide some results. And we need to think about the short term, the long term. Uh, and as managers and leaders, uh, we have to remember that in the end, we need to create these resilient teams that can prob that can stand on their own uh, when things get uh, times get hard. Um, and that we, my personal perspective, at least, that we are responsible in the growth phase so we don't overgrow. Uh, because if we add to, well, simply put, if we add too many people and we constantly have to cut down when things are getting hard, that will that will um, kill the engagement in the group. No, I totally agree, John. Um, but I was thinking also, I think maybe tough times is a good timing for specifically data and analytics teams to find that sort of connect to the bigger why, because we can easily show that what we're doing is contributing to the company's overall goals, which is, at least in my experience, more aligned even during tough times, because then we're sort of the eyes and the insides of the company. And to show exactly how we contribute to the overall goals is, is almost easier in these times because everybody needs to know how things are going and what's what should we be doing and what should we be focusing on. And it's, it's almost easier to align around, okay, so this team is right now contributing to exactly this KPI. And right now that is what the entire company is basically looking at. So, so the engagement around or why, as a data and analytics function, I find almost easier in these times because it's very evident that this is so crucial for our future success. So, so it can be something that you can actually, I'm not going to say use, but maybe uh, spend some extra time on focusing on right now to, to get that sort of engagement up in the company. Um, but of course, always taking the sort of human perspective into account as well. Yeah, I, I agree, um, especially on the human perspective piece. I think it, going back to the seasonality thing, this is also the first, at least in my career, macro cycle that has been a major contraction, right? And this is a good moment for all of us to reflect and have these conversations. So I just wanted to say that it's super important to just be talking about this. Um, and it's a really good perspective from from everybody. Yep. Uh, I mean, I, I feel... I feel again the um, the future of tech leadership or the leadership uh, roles is is in in line uh, to to find the balance. Uh, but in uh, of course uh, the the importance of financial statements are are there in in every uh, single aspect of uh, the work that we do, and every single employee are are aware of that. But how do we uh, strike the balance in order to not not every uh, teams are coding or making the features developments uh, just for the just for the um, sanity? No, it doesn't work like that. And and of course, uh, it, it's it's all about the financial uh, literacy and also the balance that uh, leaders have to uh, bring in to to not uh, build something just for the uh, sake of uh, financial statements. So it's it's about that. I feel. 
Okay, that was a, that was another super interesting deep dive. And listening into you guys, I have a question coming from a place of genuine curiosity. So I'm going to make the educated assumption that as managers, each of you have been ICs in the past. Um, and when talking about getting teams on board, how important is it to... As a now, as a manager, it's very clear that you there is a strong focus on the direction of where we're going and the we as a whole. But how important is it to have the you, so to the individual, to yourself, and to the individual person of here's what's important, here's why it's important to you, not just to us. No, I, I mean. That's uh, crucial, crucial, crucial importance uh, when it comes to uh, leader. As in, um, every leader is built with values, and uh, that value is is like a unique identifier to that uh, particular uh, individual. So, and I feel uh, that uh, the you factor, as in uh, the uniqueness of of every leader, is is how we uh, are getting involved. And and that be uh, as a leader, uh, as slash manager, or, or individually, uh, it, it has to be preserved in every form and every um, every angle of our developments. And I and I strongly uh, believe that um, um, the you uh, who have uh, been uh, thought by top leaders out there is is how uh, we are trying to uh, perceive the the products. And and that that needs to be that needs to be added with our you uh, the you factor into that. So that it can it can be even more uh, better, and and I feel it's it has to be it has to be more unique in that in that uh, natural pure form. So that has to be preserved for sure. Yeah, I I also agree that this is hugely important. One of the key frameworks that I go back to a lot with these kinds of questions is that a business isn't a family, and we touched on this earlier, right? With with the focus on the financials. I find it more useful to equate a business to a sports team. Uh, and maybe that's the American in the again coming out. Uh, but, you know, just like we are here collectively as a business to make money to and to be able to have employees, uh, at the same time, they are employees, not volunteers, which means that we as a business have to, and as leaders, have to set individual track records, uh, individual tracks, excuse me. Uh, for for those ICs to be successful in their individual careers, right? And then kind of knitting those individual careers together into a team. That's where where I, I find one of the most useful frames is is that sports analogy, right? You might have the all-star. Um, you might have, you know, the person who is the, the sixth man off the bench if we're using basketball um, as an analogy, right? And everyone has these roles to play and knitting those together um, for the benefit of not only the team, but for the individual I think is is a good frame of reference. No, I I agree. I, I I was thinking also about sort of the authenticity in this. I think that it doesn't matter if you're a leader or a manager or or a team member. This is something that you as an individual have to feel. What's in what's my part in this? What role do I play and why am I here? And I think especially in tough times and with sort of the pressure is on, you have to feel that somehow. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to actually do the job. Uh, and maybe especially as a leader. But I think seeing where we are right now and with with the times around us, I think that that's going to be relevant for everybody to understand and to be able to, to yourself sort of answer, why am I here? 
And sometimes we as leaders have to step in and help that conversation. Uh, but I think to inspire around actually applying that bigger why, and like you said, Josh, the, the, the team's why or the organization's why, to me, is really important for everybody to to somehow do and at least to relate to how do I view that why basically and and how do I interpret that and how does that actually lead me on a sort of day-to-day basis so so to me the authenticity and me being able to say this is why I'm here this is my purpose this is why I want to contribute to our bigger goals and how I do it basically I think there's something in having that type of conversation with your manager or with yourself or uh, but at some point in time, you, you need that to be able to find the motivation, I think. When I when I look at an organization, I, I want to see that teams are the smallest components that I look at. However, all those teams are consisted by individuals. Um, as a manager, I want my teams to take care of the team's things them all, on their own. They take care of their process there, their conflicts, their communication, whatever, whatever. I focus on the individuals in the team. I coach them. I help them. I'm there to talk to them. I usually say that it's maybe it's not exactly the same now, but two years ago that all of my people were one phone call away from another job. Uh, that kind of put the pressure on me to make sure that they stay happy. Uh, so from a company perspective, I want my people to be engaged and happy. They want that as well. And we all know that when it comes down to um, results, again, if we're going to tie back there, having engaged people, will that's kind of where you find the 10x developers. They have to be engaged. They have to be happy. So I say, as a manager, you need to put a lot of focus on the individuals. And it's also a point I would like to add here. Um, as in, As a manager, it's also the responsibility of the manager slash leader to bring in <clears throat> the individual um, to to be evident for them and for the organization uh, so that that brings a unique uh, value to that uh, the team uh, to complement what John said. So, No, thank you, guys. That Those are some awesome reflections. Um, definitely helpful. I'm sure it's going to help many people that are listening to this as well. And again, it brings us nicely into our next question that's brought to us by Biology. So Biology, would you please be so kind as to explain to us what is your question and what is the the context around the question? Thanks, Josh. Um, I mean, as I was um, reflecting upon the, the evolution of uh, tech leadership, I've been, I've been uh, looking at the decisions that have been taken uh, uh, at different point in time at different companies, different geographies. Uh, I can I can clearly see there is a there's a trend that goes uh, towards uh, decisions that are made with engineering mindset, uh, which is which is very good because that's uh, that's how uh, things can can be uh, uh, put into into a complex system. Uh, but on the other hand, we we are navigating towards um, uh, towards an era where uh, users uh, matters the most than customers and. Uh, values are the ones that that speaks more than volume, and 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 uh, as as I've been uh, thinking about a service being the 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 next uh, evolution of um, uh, uh, things that uh, the companies try to put out into the into the into the market, and how do uh, this evolution of tech leadership accounts the aspect of user centric uh, philosophies into into their daily uh, developments and activities, uh, and that that kind of makes me feel. 
um, uh, to take examples and to and to and to reflect upon um, the the values of user driven uh, product development. Uh, whereas, uh, how 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 is how is that uh, evolving with the with the current uh, future of tech uh, tech leadership uh, domains? That that's something that I wanted to put out out as a question. I'll go ahead and go first, since this is actually an area that I'm still learning quite a lot about, and leave it to the other experts on the call, maybe to add their reflections. Um, coming more from the financial analysis side, uh, inherently have less of a focus on the user, more on the business and some of the topics we've touched on thus far. Uh, but you also mentioned a little bit moving the, you know, this engineering mindset, this data-driven approach. Uh, and I think a, a big key for this kind of decision-making is not is not only looking at the data, but looking at the limitations in the data. And any good engineer, any good data scientist, any good analyst knows that that's all, their analysis is only as good as the data itself. And all data is fallible. All data can be manipulated um, to fit a narrative. And understanding those nuances and understanding those limitations, I think is really key as we move forward. So not being blinded just by the data. I think this is a really, really interesting question and, and sort of a passion topic for me as well, given the fact that I focus a lot on just this sort of in, intersection between business and business value on one hand and analytics development on the other. And I agree with you, and I think many more have to understand a little bit more about what we're actually doing in the space going forward. And to me, that's a huge transition. I mean, I think a lot of more business users are going to have to understand at least a little bit more about the quality of data, for example, or how we do this type of uh, calculations or whatever. I think this is a much broader transition than maybe we want to <laughs> try to make it out right now because we focus a lot on the technical side, right? But I think being user-centric to me is also being sort of business-centric in a broader uh, sense as well, understanding how do we actually integrate technology into our business rather than seeing it as something to do on the side. Because I think then we're going to do this overdevelopment or we're going to do something that we're actually not needing. Or in the worst case, we're going to do something that we're actually then interpreting not correctly because we don't have the understanding in the people who are actually going to use the outputs, right? So I think to actually view this as a big company-wide transition and investing time and resources in sort of pushing that needle a little bit further um, in a broader sense, to me, is key going forward. I really think we need to understand that this is something that's going to take up a lot of our entire company's uh, focus if we want to unleash the power of data analytics. So, so taking the time, understanding the sort of size of this transition is, is to me critical, actually. This is not my area of expertise, but for those of us who grew up in the 80s, uh, we all known and heard the phrase, the customer is king. Um, that's not true anymore. Uh, now the user is king, and the difference in that is that we've moved as a society from a more of a service-oriented into a product-oriented approach. I don't want a company to cater to me. I just want the product to be good enough straight away. Uh, 
And this is the approach that we have to change to as well, because if we keep treating our users as customers, then we want to cater to them. And when we cater to them, we end up with the with an environment that is too complex to be able to work with. And we end up with all these special cases and we end up with all these different ways of doing things where we want to be is more of a, we have a product that is good enough. It's going to sell. We're going to get the volume, but we can't give you this and you that and the third person a third option. We have to be decisive and we have to think about this is the product and we have to dare to say, no, we're not going to do the other things. This is what we do. This is what we focus on and hope that we survive by doing that. Um, but I think a lot of us who are in the companies in leadership now, they still consider customer to be king. Uh, and it's so easy to slip back into catering to everyone where, where that is maybe one of the biggest traps that startups and smaller companies does, because then you have to deal with it later. And that's when you sink. Great, great minds and great dancers, and uh, um, I. Uh, that actually asks me, uh, or prompts me to ask more questions, <laughs> uh, because I I try to get more uh, extractions from from the thoughts. And I mean, one 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 uh, simple thought I'd like to put out is like, as Annie mentioned, um, to the, the the critical path in in making this to to make the businesses understand. And, and as a leader or a slash manager, and how how can you uh, make make your every decisions uh, with respect to team level or to to make the management level uh, understand the 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 user centric uh, philosophies and how how does how does um, you probably uh, have gone through in your in your um, current um, work or, or how how do you feel that could be could be uh, good to evolve um, on a, on a general scale? I mean, um, from my perspective, we put a lot of time on it. To be honest discussions basically because i think we have to have a, a humble approach all across the company to to say that this is to some extent new to us uh and that extent is going to be different of course on an individual level which is also the sort of tricky part here we all have uh different sort of maturity levels and different starting points in this journey and and i think to me, uh, I'm not going to say I have the answer, but I think to me, just having those discussions uh, specifically with with top management has been really valuable uh, to sort of find a new sort of balance. Who does need to who needs to understand what uh, and to what extent, basically, uh, what types of decisions can we push down in the company? But we still need to understand that we're changing the mindset uh, and that we have to have a common understanding of. We need to be aware and have a common goal as to where are we going with this? How far should we go? And then we can sort of fill in the puzzle and make sure that we're aligning towards that and we're ha going to have different roles in that. But I think, again, communication is really key um, because, again, everybody understands that this is a change and we have to adjust. But what is actually the change and how do we need to adjust is something that we need to spend time on. Um, so yeah, that that's uh, at least for now my approach, focusing on it and having those discussions on all levels. Awesome. Thank you all very much for that. Um, again, these, these conversations are so important at the moment and they're also very nuanced and complicated and I think they are 
questions that are a lot of people are struggling to tackle at the moment. So these insights are super helpful. And we have one more question, which takes us into a the future-facing question. So Evan, would you please talk to us about your question? Yeah, thanks, Josh. Uh, as, as you mentioned, a lot of the questions so far have been focused on where we are right now. Um, and when I look back on my career, when I think about where we've come, where we are, where we're going, uh, I see two major trends, um, a hype cycle, maybe if you spend too much time on Reddit, uh, you could you could call it that. Uh, the, the first that I, I reflect on is Web3, the crypto um, hype cycle that we went through, which in my experience didn't maybe result in the uh, utility that some of us expected didn't have a major impact in um, analytics or, or data specifically. Um, however, the second hype cycle that have been a part of and one that we're currently a part of is the widespread adoption of commercial AI. And I do think this is fundamentally different from Web3. And the reason, like I prefaced, is, is utility. This is something that we use every day, uh, at least on, on several of my teams. I think we could spend an entire podcast talking about the specifics, debating you know, philosophy, a number of different things related to AI. But I want to I want to distill this down to the tactical. Um, so my question is, how can we effectively navigate this change as leaders, and how can we best equip our teams to prepare the next generation of analysts going into the future? But simply, I don't believe that AI will replace analysts. However, I do believe that an analyst who understands AI might. Uh, that. That's definitely a future-facing question, uh, Ivan, and, and I, I would like to add a um, uh, current dimension to that as as we go through different generative AIs um, in uh, in different part of the usages uh, in our daily uh, daily day activities. Now, I, I have a I have a, a a different thought on the on the uh, last bit you mentioned, as in um, where the AI is not going to replace analysts, and I and I feel. Um, when it comes to, as in what um, um, the analyst uh, says, um, that within 2032, we'll be attaining uh, the AGI, the artificial general intelligence, which defines the fact that uh, it's more of a human level intelligence for uh, artificial systems. Uh, that way, um, the the point of uh, decision making from the data to 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 a more empathetic empathetic way is is uh, is in in uh, in the cards very much I, and I feel uh, that's exactly what Google uh, DeepMind CEO mentioned uh, with respect to AGIs, uh, where within few years uh, the systems are are in uh, in a way that are able to train themselves to to do the decision making processes, which is which is a very uh, positive uh, addition to the tech industry is what I feel. Uh, when it comes to uh, commercial uh, systems and solutions, uh, the way of um, handling most of the, I mean, I've, I've been looking at the current uh, scenario where I'm part of the commercial digital organizations where uh, the operations slash um, uh, decision-making principles are pretty much uh, more human, but there are opportunities, there are um, more uh, avenues for, for AI uh, slash AGI to to be a part of it and and to make uh, more more uh, valuable uh, decision making principles. And I feel and I feel that's very much in in the in the future evolution. Yeah, I mean, 
very relevant question, of course, Evan. Um, a bit on the practical side right now, I think this is something, of course, we need to, we can't not adjust, right? We have to, we have to start thinking about how do we incorporate this uh, and how does the future of sort of the analyst role look? But I think there is also an interesting topic as to, because I, I guess a lot of us are thinking of how should we use it right now with the current sort of workforce that we have, but also seeing that maybe AI will will sort of um, automate or simplify a lot of the sort of basic work that we're currently doing. And going forward, we're going to have a workforce that maybe necessarily doesn't have to do that sort of basic work or where you start your career tra traditionally. So how do we come about learning the next generations of analysts when they don't have to do sort of the groundwork? And, and to me, that's a really interesting topic to start talking about now, because we have the people we have out in the workforce now, they already know the basics. We don't have to train them in the basics because that's how you start. And then we can make that more efficient and then they can do the sort of value add. But going forward, if we have a workforce who never trained in the basics, how do we make sure that they actually understand that part, even though it's automated? And to me, that's something that we need to start sort of aligning around. How do we actually make sure that we have people in the future who understand the automated part or the simplified parts and can do just the value add or sort of the human elements of, of uh, the analytics uh, work? And I'm sorry I'm answering your question with a question, but to me, that's where I'm at right now. How do we sort of start to to plan for that type of workforce, which may, we may have in just a couple of years' time, uh, and starting to maybe put words into uh, some of the basics that we now think is something that everybody knows or everybody understands already, because that's where you start. So uh, starting to to talk about the things which have been really evident in terms of of building the basic blocks of analytics is something we may have to talk about in a different way going forward. So finding the sort of the rhetorics around that is is where I am at right now. Uh, something I'm I'm thinking about. So I don't I don't come from an analytics background, and I don't think in that way. I come from a system development background and and, and programming. But I think when it comes to the basics, I think that we're just going to see that the, what's considered basics will be pushed. Uh, there will be new basic building blocks that you need to learn. And you need to struggle a couple of years as a junior with those basic blocks before you can head on to more advanced, which will also be pushed. Um, and being tactical right now with these tools and AI, I, I, I think we should embrace as much as possible. But my my individual approach to it and uh, what I want to kind of preach uh, with the people that I work with is to embrace the things that will simplify it for us so we can get more time to do completely other stuff. Uh, I want to, like, since we don't know where AI is going, uh, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting uh, upcoming five years, but right here and now, just let it let the tools do the basic things that can shave off a couple of hours of your working week and then go out for a run, go out into nature. Don't do more work. Just do let the robots make sure that we get more free time. Great, great feedback and a great response. I, I love I love the idea. Coming from a fellow endurance athlete, those long runs, they add up. So 
I can sympathize with that. I, I think it's a really good set of responses and thoughts. My, my approach here is also very tactical, right? Um, practically speaking, it's a great tool for upskilling. Uh, it's a great tool for reviewing bits of code that you might not know. Um, for making those types of connections, uh, paired programming, all these types of things. Um, and I think as analysts on a very varying degrees of maturity and, and technical skill set, Annie, as you mentioned, it's a really good opportunity to refine um, and elevate those skills. And this is something that that I've already seen and that we are doing um, on our teams. You know, there's a lot of hype around people building their own LLMs and companies that maybe didn't traditionally play in this space or, you know, XYZ product feature now featuring AI. Uh, and I think that a lot of that might be slightly overstated at this stage. However, I, I can't understate how impactful it's been in our upskilling, our ability to execute faster with higher precision, better results. Um, and this is something that we've seen in the last six months. So this is, I, I think it's a really topical thing to discuss, out, putting the hype and the, the far future aside. No, I totally agree. Uh, I, I think uh, trying to just focus on the value add we can get right now and definitely evolving with it, sort of demystifying what it actually is right now to us. And also trying to transfer that to to our business colleagues. Again, me being very much out in the business talking about this is, I think, both understanding the value that it really does create. I agree, Evan, definitely. Uh, I mean, we can see a lot of impact in our work, but I think also trying to get the hype on a realistic level, sort of, or or at least trying to package that in the sense that you can understand what it actually can do and what it actually can't do right now. Uh, but again, trying to sort of run alongside the the development, I think, is is really key at the moment, of course. No, uh, totally. I'd like to base my um, uh, uh, insight uh, on this um, again being. Let's say let's be an analyst of um, an, um, uh, how AI is gonna do to the analyst. So that that sort of perception is what I'd like to bring in. Uh, looking back, uh, we just can able to uh, build this application slash um, uh, do data analysis and and uh, spin up a, a decision uh, in a couple of months uh, back in back in those uh, decades. But now we can do it in a couple of hours. And extrapolating that, it's gonna it's gonna shorten that run and and going ahead in the curve it's going to be like uh of a, of a different dimension of uh, uh, analysis analysis is what um uh, we need to uh, we need to impart which probably um, could be a requirement um wherein wherein um, for example the empath empathetic way of uh, doing analysis that that could be something that we we probably evolve towards and then uh, ai is ai uh, are gonna catch up towards and it's this is a bit of a, a catching up game, and and that's and I'm 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 pretty uh, assertive in the fact that uh, the capabilities of AI is uh, is gonna is gonna ramp up, and and uh, what we need to uh, bring in is, as John mentioned, probably more human to our life, and and uh, and and probably uh, put more challenges to AI uh, rather than us taking it all by ourselves. Cool. 
I, I always try and walk away from these kinds of discussions with with something tactical, something practical to apply. And so I just want to pose a, like a very simple yes or no question. If you were speaking to yourself, you know, five years ago, an analyst coming out of school or a, a manager of, a, of an analytics or engineering focused team, you know, how would you rank or where would you put AI on uh, in that future toolkit right, that we need for for future analysts? I would rank it very high. Um, I see that you can shave off a lot of time on basic maneuvers that you don't want to do anymore. Okay. Thank you so much, everybody, again, for a super interesting discussion. I have one follow-on question encompassing the reflections you guys just gave and also the, the very much people-focused nature of the discussions we've had already. So something to think about because I appreciate every one of you is either have been implementing, are currently implementing, or are looking to implement some form of AI into the way that you're working in the future. Moving away from the technical into the teams, is AI at the moment changing your team dynamics? Now, if you would like some context to that, the kind of things I'm thinking of is AI has this ability to compute lots of different variables at high speed and provide different logic than we may do. And that may change sprint planning or other things like that. So is this changing the way you are working as a team? I would like to say a big yes to that <laughs> uh, yes actually uh, as in uh, from a from a product development uh, uh, aspects this have uh, cut short a huge amount of time um, i mean um, having um, we are we actually um, trying to do a co-pilot um, kind of studies and that that have uh, quadrupled the productivity of uh, of uh, developers uh, which basically uh, help develop ship features in a in a faster rate and uh, and it also uh, closes the feedback feedback loop uh, in a faster way because uh, now it's it's getting uh, the feedbacks are getting more um, AI driven. So um, and and again the feed forward is also AI driven. So it just actually makes the system more uh, more efficient. I would say uh, when it comes to the product management slash development side. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. It is it has transformed the way that we work. It has blended the lines between, uh, I work primarily with analysts to back to, to what John was mentioning earlier, a little bit different scope, it sounds like for the different guests. Um, working primarily with analysts, it has really changed the way that we deliver. Uh, it, blend, it blurs the lines between engineering, data engineering, um, analytics, and then on the back end, you know, presentations and, uh, and reporting to, to executive leadership. Um, we've continually grown through you leveraging AI as a tool um, to, to eating more of that end-to-end -end stack uh, is, is how I think about it. Um, leveraging more software development lifecycle best practices, agile, um, using tickets, these kinds of things, version control uh, for analytics products uh, has been something that's been transformative in the last six months and something we, we look to continue to, to build uh, going forward. I haven't seen a huge shift yet in the teams that I've worked with, but I can really imagine when it comes to product development that it can make a huge change for teams to be faster. Uh, especially when you think about cross-functional teams where you're going to need a different lo lot of different competences to, to create a product or feature. With the tools that we have now, 
if you can, if you can, uh, if you're fine with getting a, a decent result, you can cut out a lot of the competences needed in that cross-functional team. Because if you want to do a, a proof of concept or something, and you can go with whatever kind of design, you don't care how it looks really, but it needs to look kind of crisp. You can just get that in five minutes and you can cut out the designer. Um, you can probably cut out different kinds of roles as well to just get that that speed that you need to test something in a week or two. So that's going to be an, a really interesting to see how, how teams can pick this up and add AI as maybe not the core members, but the members that are kind of close to the team. Yeah, I mean, this is not really where where my expertise lies, but uh, I was just going to add to to what Evan said that that we've seen a tremendous increase in in efficiency, rather, but maybe not changing the team dynamics yet, rather than than just the speed of the things. But looking forward to to seeing where it goes, like like everybody said. Uh, so, but just on the efficiency side right now, I would say. I'd like to bring. Um... A context to this podcast with what you have asked Josh, as in, yes, AI can able to help withstand the changes, thereby providing the uh, or meeting the financial requirements of the company in a way that the user-centric developments are possible as well. And hence, yes, AI is a welcome addition. <laughs> I think one approach that's going to be, uh, one thing that's going to be interesting in a couple of years is to see with the new speed, the amount of things that we create, what will be the costs of, uh, of maintaining those? Because uh, I usually say that it's nothing more dangerous, than, well, nothing more dangerous, but to have a bored junior developer. Uh, like if they don't have something to do, they figure something out, they'll write something, they put it into production, and then two years later, you have to maintain it. And no one knows what's been done. No one knows what it is. Uh, and now this is like junior developers on steroids. You can just push things to production every day, but in two years' time, we're gonna have a code base in the world that is like a thousand times bigger than this today, and we're gonna have to maintain that. Uh, and I think the same thing will go with analysis. You do a lot of things, but since you don't spend so much time on each and every separate issue, you're not gonna remember what you did and why. And there are, there are gonna be tons of things lying around that we're yeah. gonna have to deal with. Probably a perfect uh, podcast topic for you, Josh. <laughs> no thank you very much and it sounds like from john's answer there that it's going to give you more things to think about as managers of where things to prioritize in in your teams so mate we will validate you right we'll discuss that another time i really wanted to take this time from with everything that i have to say thank you for your time today guys for the discussion I found it super interesting. I am almost certain to you that are listening that you found this interesting. Um, it has been complex. It has been, like I said before, it's been nuanced and it has made these topics more digestible. So I'm super grateful for your time and your reflections and your input. So for everybody listening, um, it has been Evan, John, Balaji and Annie. And thank you once again.